John chapter 3 tonight, verses 4 through 10. If you're there in your Bible, say amen. Verse number 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as, as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not the righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now these verses tonight, we're going to look at these here in just a moment. Within the context, we have to go back to verse number 3 where we left off last week on last Sunday night where the Bible said, And every man that hath this hope, that hope is referring to the rapture, the coming of our Lord. Every man that hath his, this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And so we're looking tonight at these verses. They are some of the most controversial verses in the entire book of 1 John. And so that's why we've foregone a little singing tonight. That way I can dig in and not be rushed. And I can't really get, get with it in my normal gear of preaching anyway. But that's probably good for tonight. That way we can slow down and deal with some of this. In these verses there are those that teach. And we'll address this in a moment. Well, they will take these verses and they will teach and preach sinless perfection. What I mean by that is they will take these verses and say, if you're saved, then you will never sin. That you will be of a sinless life. In fact, one fellow said that you can live above sin. Brother Joe Arthur said the only man that he knows that lives above sin is a guy that has an apartment over top of a bar. He lives above sin, all right? So it is not possible to be sinless. So if these verses are not teaching sinless perfection, then pray tell what are they teaching. They're teaching this tonight. They're teaching that sin and the saint, they just don't go together. In fact, when we, we're going to dig in. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that may help us get done. When John's writing to these believers in our text, he is writing to a group of believers that their church has been invaded by the Gnostics. And the Gnostics taught that the sin did not affect the spirit of man. That the body did not affect the spirit. And so what you've done with your body did not affect your spirit. It did not affect your soul. So you could live how you wanted to. And then you'll still be saying that would not be a problem. Those guys are still around today. They are not called Gnostics. Uh, they are just basically liberals that want to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. And so that's what John's dealing with. And so there are four things. There are four things I want to give you tonight. And I'm preaching on a thought tonight. They don't go together. Sin and the saint, sin and the Christian, they don't go together. Here's what I mean. You know, water and oil, they say, don't mix. And it's true. Water and oil don't mix. You can, you can mix oil and water. They're going to separate. And that's how the Christian ought to be with sin tonight. We ought to separate from sin. We ought to sanctify ourselves from sin. We ought to try to put distance between us and sin. But we also want to take these verses tonight and teach you they are not talking about sinless perfection but they are speaking about us separating and sanctifying our hearts unto God. 
So let's look at these four things tonight quickly. The Lord being our helper. First of all, I, I found if I drink water, it helps my throat. So y'all don't tell Brother Langston, okay? This is a one-time thing, preacher, all right? First of all, tonight, in verse number four, there is a clear statement. A clear statement. He begins this ver these verses, this section of verses, by talking about what sin is. He gives us a clear statement. Look at verse number four. Let's look at it together. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And so there are two things he gives us in this clear statement. First of all, there is the committing of sin. Verse 4, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. We've defined two words in this verse. The word committeth, it means to do, to carry out, to execute, to practice, to live in habitual practice. The word transgresseth, it means to contempt and violation of law, iniquity, wickedness, or sin. When sin is committed, a violation of the law of God, when we say the law of God, we can say the word of God, a violation of the word of God has taken place. One writer said, the law exists to define sin. Paul said he would not know what sin was if it was not for the law. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Here's what we mean by that. In Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God gave them one law. God gave them one no. You know what it was? Thou shalt not eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. That was the one no. They had thousands of yeses around them, and they had one no, and what they do? They do exactly like you and I do. We'll be out here working next Saturday, and we're going to tell somebody, don't touch that wall, that paint's wet. You know what we're going to end up doing? Is it really wet? That's why short people are not allowed to be here Saturday, okay? Except for Brother Richie. Uh, but uh, what I'm saying tonight is that law shows us, I pick on him when he's not even here. Law shows us what sin is, the committing of sin. And then there's the consequence of sin in verse number 4. For sin is the transgression of the law. There are several different definitions of sin in the Bible. Romans 14, 23, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Romans 24, 9, the thought of foolishness is sin. James 4, 17, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? 1 John 5, that was a little weak. To him it is what? 1 John 5, 17. All unrighteousness is sin. But in our verses that we have read tonight, John defines sin as lawlessness and defiance. You know who, you know, there's people, they want to disrespect the law and disrespect police officers and talk about how bad they are. You know who that crowd is? The lawless. You know, I, I've never, now the only time I don't like a police officer is when they got the blue light special in my rearview mirror. Amen. I've got one ticket in my entire life, and I was going to church, and I got pulled over right out here in front of where Fred used to be. Ain't that a blessing? He didn't care I was going to church. He didn't care. I told myself, I'm going to pick up two sinners and take them to a tent meeting. He didn't care. His name was D. Earnhardt, Officer D. Earnhardt. I said, I got one question. Your first name ain't Dale, is it? Because if all my buddies find out I got pulled over by Dale Earnhardt, they're never going to let me live it down. 
He wasn't Dale, and he didn't have a sense of humor, but he was doing his job. But, you know, I didn't like the law then. You know why? I had broken the law. And I'm going to tell you tonight, that crowd that says, well, I don't like all them rules you Christians live by, you know why they don't like it? Because they broke the law. But I got news for you, you broke the law too. You've broken the law of God. I've broken the law of God. In fact, if you have broken one commandment, James said you're guilty of it all. So we're all in the same boat tonight. I'm looking at a bunch of jailbird lawbreakers. It's what we are tonight. So there is a clear statement. The emphasis here, he said in verse number, verse number 4, he said, For sin is the transgression of the law. Who's ever committed sin? Notice it's not sins, plural. It's sin. One writer said the emphasis here is not on sins, plural, but on sins, singular. Sins are the fruit, but sin is the root. Here's what I mean by that. A man that is a drunk, that he is not a drunk because of his, of, of that, that being a sin, it's what's in him. Alright? What he does does not make him a sinner. Did you hear that? What he is makes him a sinner. He can never pick up a bottle of alcohol and he's still a sinner. He can never do drugs, but he's still a sinner. Somebody says, how do you know that? Because I've never drank alcohol or done drugs, but I'm still a sinner because all have sinned and come short of the glory and honor of God. So there is a clear statement. Did I make that clear? All right. Verse 5, number 2, there is a comforting statement. I love this now. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Thank God for that. So there's his purpose in verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. The word manifested means to make visible or to make known. The Bible said the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as that the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know what his, his purpose was? His purpose was to take away our sins. John looked at him in John 1 29 and said behold the Lamb of God which taketh away thank God taketh away the sin of the world. You look at that little phrase take away it means to lift up. It means to raise up. I was under the burden of sin. I was lost. The burden of sin weighed heavy on me but thank God happy day happy day uh, when Jesus came and he lifted up my sin and he took my sin away. Somebody said, what did he do with my sin? I ain't really sure. Last time I saw him, he carried him up Calvary's hill and he come out of that empty tomb singing, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. You ask me why I'm happy, so I'll just tell you why my sins are gone. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all their guilt stains. Thank God tonight my sins of both past of both present and both future have been paid for by the sacrificial death and by the offering of his blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God he was manifested to take my sins away. And I thank God for that tonight. The Bible said, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. His purpose in verse 5. His purity in verse 5. And in him is no sin. Now, I've, I have preached this a lot lately because I found out it's a big 
argument, apparently. I'm always the last one to find out anything. Not really. I'm usually in the, usually in the forefront. But I didn't know about this one. There, there are preachers going around, independent Baptist preachers, guys that are my friends, and, they're, and I love them, but they're wrong. They'll go around and they'll say, Jesus did not sin. Amen. But they'll say he could have. I do not believe that. I wrote this word down. I tried to say it the other Sunday, and I couldn't get it right. We believe in the impeccability of Jesus Christ. And we preached on the temptation of our Lord the other week. Jesus could not have yielded that temptation. They make the argument, well, it wasn't a real temptation then. It, well, it wasn't a temptation when the person that, that you are tempting cannot yield to it. That's what they say. Well, here's the point. It was for our example. The Bible said he was in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Meaning he could not yield to the temptation. I'm telling the night church, and that's an important doctrine, and I think my friends, if they really got their eyes open on this, they would realize how dangerous that doctrine is. Had Jesus had the ability to yield to temptation then he could not be the son of God and we would be dead in our trespasses and sin and doomed to hell for all eternity quit monkeying with the Bible amen some of us say well I, I just don't understand that I can't understand how it's not a real temptation I, God did not ask you to understand the Bible he asked you to believe it it is a book of faith and I'm glad tonight I could not, hey, I could not have a Savior. He could not be my Savior if he could have yielded to temptation. He could not be my Savior if he could have sinned. But I'm so glad tonight that there was no guile found in his mouth. He never had a bad thought. He never had a wrong deed. He never said the, a wrong word at the wrong time. He was sinless. By the way, he's still sinless, amen. And he was perfect. He's still perfect, amen. And he was holy. And thank God he's still holy tonight. I think our job as preachers and as people of God we ought to lift up the holiness of Jesus Christ he said be holy for I am holy tonight we believe that around here we believe in the impeccability of Jesus Christ somebody said well did he ever smart off at his mama no did he ever have to be told to make up his bed no did he ever have to be told to clean up his room no why because he is the son of God in fact, when they make them little jokes about that, I've heard the comedians, Mary walking in his room and said, good night, clean up this room. Was you born in a barn? That's such blasphemy. That's such disrespect to our Lord. He was the sinless son of God from Bethlehem to Calvary. He did not become the Son of God. Why am I preaching this on a Sunday night? He did not become the Son of God. He didn't figure out that he was the Son of God. At the moment of conception, I don't understand it all, but I believe it all. He was at that time the Son of God. There is a clear statement. There is a, com or there is a comforting statement. Verse 6. Let's get down to the good stuff now. There is a controversial statement. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Now try that one on for size. Because people will take that one verse. There are two things I'll give you. First of all, there is the common interpretation of this verse. 
Now, when I say controversy, there's no controversy in the Bible. The Bible is clear. But man creates controversy when man tries to insert his own ideas into the Bible. And God did not ask me to insert my own ideas and opinion. He asked me to preach the Word. So that's what we're going to do with this verse. The common interpretation of this t passage is that if you're saved, you won't sin. That's what they think it says. If you're in Christ, then you're not going to sin. Men will take this verse, there are two ways. Men will take this verse and teach if you're saved, you will not sin. And if you do sin, you either wasn't saved to begin with or you lost your salvation. Now, in our crowd and in our circle, y'all, am I boring, y'all? In our crowd and in our circles, we really don't deal with the losing your salvation crowd much. You know, I wish I could preach that. I wish I could preach you could lose your salvation so some of y'all live better. But unfortunately, I can't do that, you know. Uh, we have to preach the Bible. Ain't that a blessing? So, if, if that verse don't mean you lose your salvation, then it doesn't mean if you're truly saved you won't sin. That's what some people teach. But it's amazing. You know, turn, turn in that same book you're in, the First John 1, 8. Because they teach if you're saved, you won't sin. First John 1, 8. Brother Clayton, you got it right there? Read First John 1, 8 real loud for me. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. That crowd will take verse 6 of my text and say, See, if you're really saved, you won't sin. But they don't read 1 John 1, 8. And so we say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves. Um, chapter 2, verse 1. Read that, Brother Clayton. All right, so his intention is you don't sin. What's the rest of it say? Whoa, if any man sin... He said, I don't want you to sin, but it's probably going to happen. Read the rest of it for you, brother. Amen. Thank God for that. Hallelujah for that. And I like that. Next, go ahead and read that next verse. I like that verse too. Yes, he is. All right. Did you see the distinction he made in that verse? Not for ours only, the believer, but for the sins of the whole world, the lost. So that tells me the believer can sin. Ain't that amazing how the Bible clears up man's mess-ups, if you let me put it like that? So that verse is not teaching if you're saved, you won't sin. That's the common interpretation, though. I have sat in Baptist camp meetings. I, I was in a meeting. I can't tell you where I was at. But I was in a meeting one night, and this guy preached for like an hour and pretty much preached sinless perfection. And I'm sitting back there, and I knew it wasn't right because I was sinning because he was preaching an hour. I'm like, come on, man. That's the only Joe Biden quote I do is, come on, man. That's the only one I do. Uh, he, he just about preached sinless perfection in that meeting. I've listened to that sermon about seven times to make sure I didn't misunderstand what he was saying. And, and turns out he was not putting right verses and right dispensations and all that. And uh, If he would have kept going, he probably would have ended up losing his salvation if he kept preaching, preaching that sermon and getting too deep. So, so if that's the common interpretation... What's the correct interpretation? Well, it, well, here's what it is. Look at the verse. Y'all still with me? Verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Y'all know I like to preach those ETHs. Continual sins. Sinneth. A continual, habitual practice of sin with the implication of no correction. 
Here's what John's saying. If somebody can say they're saved, and brother, they keep on sinning, living in sin, and there's no correction, and there's no chastisement, they're not saved. It is habitual practice of sin, going on and on. Hey, we all have a flesh we struggle with. Paul wrote about that in Romans 7. He said, the things I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do. things I know I'm not supposed to do, that's what I find myself doing. And here's what Paul said when he got to the end of that chapter, Oh, wretched man that I am. Somebody said, Paul's bipolar. No, Paul had a flesh and Paul had a spirit and he had a war going on the inside and it's battling him and he just cried out in frustration, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You ever get frustrated with yourself? I do. I mean, I get frustrated with me. I get frustrated with y'all too, but it's probably a two-way street. <laughs> y'all probably get frustrated with me and I get frustrated with y'all, but we ought to get frustrated with ourselves more than anybody. Now, I remind you, before you point out your brother's sin, check out your own sin. Now, we're preaching the life of Christ, and I can't wait. Sometime around July, August, or September, depending on how the calendar goes, we're going to get to the liberal's favorite verse in Matthew 7. Judge not, lest you be judged. Some of you think you know what that means. And some of you think, and, and then I'm going to fix that. And some of you think you really know what it means, and I'm going to fix that too. And we're going to find out what it really means. But I can't preach that because I'm in First John tonight. But you ought to, so, so what does this verse mean? Abideth, abideth. There's another E-T-H. That word abideth is the same word used in John 14 where Jesus is talking about the coming of the Spirit. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. For without me ye can do nothing, he'll say in the next verse. Somebody tell me, who's the Lord talking to in John 15? He's talking to the disciples. He tells them to abide in him, Brother Clayton. That tells me that there's a possibility you can be saved and not abide in Christ. Because he told the disciples, Judas is already gone. He's done went out in that text. So he's talking to all saved people. Would you let me use that? I hope, I hope this is getting across not being born. He's talking to all saved people. So there's a possibility to be saved and not be abiding in Christ. So I said, preacher, what's that abiding in Christ mean? You ready? It's talking about the spirit-filled life. It's talking about when you're, and people think the spirit-filled life is something spooky where you float across the floor, which I think would be incredibly cool if you could do that. But that's not what it is, okay? You know what the spirit-filled life is? It's when Christ controls you fully. Controls your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mind, your thought. You're filled with the spirit. This bottle is not filled with water. It's half full, but it's not full. You know what? When we got saved, the Spirit of God moved on the inside of us. Amen? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Lord, help me get this out and, and not be confusing. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. But you don't always yield yourself to Him. You know how I know that? Because I don't always yield myself to Him. And every time, Brother Charles, every time that I sin, I'm not filled with the Spirit. I want you to think about that for a second. You know when you sin, when you're, not, when you're not filled with the Spirit. When you're not allowing the Spirit to control you, because the Spirit's not going to lead you into sin. The Holy Ghost is not going to lead you into sin. He's going to lead you into truth and the righteous and joy and peace and love and meekness and temperance and, and all those things, Galatians 5. But you know the flesh is going to lead you? The flesh is going to lead you to sin. So there's that controversial statement. Um, I, got a, I got so many notes here, I'm trying to cut some things out. To abide in Christ means to have, be in fellowship with Him. Sonship is about being born again. 
fellowship is about allowing him to control us and having communion with Christ. A person who deliberately and habitually sins is proven that he does not know Christ and therefore cannot be abiding in him. Now, we preached this when we was in 1 John chapter number 2. Everybody wants to bring up Lot. Well, you look at Lot, you wouldn't think he was saved. And that is true. Lot was saved. But Lot is not who I want to base my life after. Lot is not the guy, the guy like, yeah, I want my life to be like Lot. No, he's like the complete opposite. I mean, I'm going to tip my cap when I see him in heaven to him. God bless you, brother. Thank God for grace. But I did not want to pattern my life after you. It'd be awful to live your whole life and nobody really know if you're saved. And if it wasn't for Peter, we'd think Lot was in hell. Here's my point tonight. If you're saved and you sin, do you feel convicted about it? I won't, I won't call anybody's name. We have a precious member of our church that came to me and my wife sometime last year, maybe two years ago. I can't remember. And, and they were struggling with their salvation. And, I, and this is not to embarrass, just try to embarrass the individual. God gave them victory. Just maybe try to help somebody else, okay? And, and they expressed they've been struggling about their salvation and, and that they had uh, been confronted with a situation and God had convicted them about a particular sin in their life. And when you say sin, you always think it's like drinking or adultery. Uh, the thought of foolishness is sin, okay? And so God had convicted, and they said, I felt like that because God convicted me of that sin that I was lost, I needed to be saved. And I told that individual, God does not convict a lost man about individual sin. He didn't convict a lost man about, hey, that anger you have is not right. That malice you have is not right. No, he's going to convict him. You are a sinner. You are guilty. You are lost without God. He will convict a saved person about individual sin. Somebody said, man, why can't that person do that and not bother him? Because they're not saved. But I tell you, if you're saved and you have a bad attitude, you may, you may do good for a little while, and then when you get by yourself, Spirit of God said, how you doing there, Bubba? Ain't you all big and bad and tough? Yeah, that really pleased me the way you acted. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know how that feels? I mean, you say something, you think something, and immediately, it's just, oh, man. And when I say the Holy Spirit convicts you, I'm not talking about your wife. Amen. But they do sound a lot alike sometimes. I ought to bring comfort to you. If you're showing your salvation and you're convicted when God convicts you about things. Now, a sinner, he'll convict them that they are a sinner because they've broken God's law and they're guilty. But a saved man, he's going to deal with individual sins in their life that they need to sanctify and give to the Lord. It could be something you're watching, something you're listening to, something you're thinking, maybe a word in your vocabulary, maybe how you treated somebody, maybe how you responded to something. I don't have to name it. You know what it is in your life, and you know when it's God. Amen. So, so that's a controversial statement. But last of all, I hope this has not been confusing tonight. There is a clarifying statement. Verses 7 through 10. Let me get through this quickly. He's going to deal with deception in verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you, but uh, he that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. John Phillips said, earlier Warren Wearsby said, counterfeit Christians were trying to convince true believers that a person could be saved, saved and still practice sin. You can be saved and go to heaven and still live your life like you want to. Though, that was the Gnostics. How many of y'all know that crowd's still alive today? 
Jesus don't care about the outside. You just do what you want to. No, it's, it's ain't Planet Fitness Judgment Free Zone. Help me now, amen. He does care about the outside. He does care about the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you act, your, how, the way you conduct yourself. How about this? Your attitude, your spirit, how you speak to people, how you treat people, how you act with people. He does not deny, words he said, John does not deny, uh, but he that, um, let me get it right now, but he does deny that Christians can live in sin. He doesn't deny that Christians cannot sin. We can, but you can't live in sin and get away with it. A person who can enjoy deliberate sin and who does not feel convicted by God and does not experience God chastening better check up if they're really born again. I think that is, he said, he said, don't let that crowd deceive you that you can live like you want to without any conviction and without any consequences. Am I getting this across right? All right. If y'all nod and say amen, let me know you got it. We can move to the next verse. Y'all got it? Verse 8, he deals with the devil. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Sin was originated in Satan himself, in Lucifer. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 talks about that. Now, the word, watch verse 8. For, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy does not mean to annihilate. Because Satan is still at work today, ain't that right? But the word destroy here means to render inoperative or to rob of power. In other words, you remember that parable that Jesus gave where, where he compares the world to a palace that had many valuable goods and a strong man was guarding that palace and Satan is that strong man and his goods were the lost men and women of the world and the only way to release those goods was to bind the strong man. He was not annihilated, but he was bound. He was rendered inoperative. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus came to earth, Satan's palace. He's the God of this world. And at Calvary, he bound the strong man. You know who the goods are that he spoiled his house? We're the goods, amen. He pulled us out of Satan's house. He pulled us out of the house of the devil. We are no longer the children of, devil, of the devil. But when we got born again, we are now a child of God. Amen. He deals with the devil, and then he deals with the difference. Verse 9 and 10, I'm done. Let's, let's deal with these. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Don't let that confuse you. They ain't saying if you're born again, you won't sin. There are two natures, right? Talk to me. There's the flesh. There's the old man and the new man. The new man does not sin. That's what John's saying right here. The new man does not sin. Who is that new man? It is the spirit that indwells us. We are walking in the newness of life. Did you know there is a part of me that cannot sin? It's the new man. That man that's yielded to Christ. But that old man, the flesh, he can. You know, the body is neutral. My body is neutral. My body will go the direction of the flesh or the spirit. I make the choice. You, you make the choice. If you sin, it's because you made the choice. If you don't sin, it's because you chose not to give in to that sin or that temptation. All right? Look on verse 9 again. 
For his seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. That seed is a reference to the new man, the Spirit of God. Verse 10. In this, in what? In, in verse number 9. Whoever sin, whoever, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteous is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. He said, I'm going to tell you right now. The way you're going to find out if somebody saved or lost is do they have the Spirit of God on the inside of them? Don't he say that in Romans chapter number 8? He said, uh, let's see here, verse number, where's it at? It's in Romans 8, verse number, I should have marked, verse 9. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Paul said, if you don't have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you, you're not born again. Don't you find it funny, all them Church of God people and all them Pentecost people? I'm waiting to get the Holy Ghost. I'm saved, but I'm waiting to get the Holy Ghost. Well, if they don't have the Holy Ghost, they ain't saved. Now, what's the point of all this tonight? The point of this is that Christians and sin should not mix. We shouldn't go together. It shouldn't be synonymous. So what do we do when we're confronted with sin? We're not to fight it. You are not to fight sin. You are not to fight temptation. You're to flee it. You're to get away from it. You know why? Because you're not strong enough and I'm not strong enough. Because our flesh, let's be honest tonight, our flesh wins most of the time. There's the old proverb, two dogs on the inside of me. One's a good dog, one's a bad dog. And they're always fighting. And the preacher asked the man, the old proverb said, what dog wins? And the old man said, whatever dog I feed the most. If you feed the flesh, your flesh is going to win. If you feed the spirit, how do you feed the spirit? Reading the word of God, praying, submitting your life to God, and the spirit will win. Hey, we can, we, I've said, I've been preaching this for the past year now. God don't want you to walk in victory, he wants to walk in obedience. Let me give you one more verse. Turn to Romans 6. Romans 6. We're going to pray and go home. I hope the Lord's helped us tonight. I feel like my voice has been better tonight. But I hope this has helped, helped us tonight. Romans chapter 6. Verse number, let's see here, verse 11. I preached these verses before, but... Likewise, reckon, you also, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed and unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, is sin dead in my life? No. But that word reckon is an accounting word. It's also a country word. It ain't a Yankee word. Reckon. Paul was from the south side of Jerusalem. He said, I reckon. He, so he, he, is, he, he said, you reckon, you account it. Verse, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign. When you think of the word reign, what do you think of? You think of a throne. Don't let sin sit on the throne of your life, reigning your mortal body, that ye should obey it and the less thereof. Neither yield your members, ye your members, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those things are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We're going home. This is an instrument right here. This is a piano. I'm not a good piano player. I'm not. I just hit it real hard and sing loud and people think you're good. All right? Now, this piano is sanctified 
and set apart for the gospel ministry of this local church. But did you know that you could bring somebody in this church and they could play the most wicked, vile, ungodly music on this piano? They could. And then you could have Brother Matthew or Miss Linda or myself get up here and we play hymns that glorify and honor God. Does the piano pick the song? Does, the, does Brother Matthew sit down at the piano and the piano says, all right, Brother Matthew, we're playing Amazing Grace today? No. If it did, that would be really weird and really cool at the same time. You know who chooses the song? The musician. The musician picks what song's going to be played. You know what this piano's doing? It is yielding to my authority over it. Who's playing the song of your life? Who's playing the instrument of your heart? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? Paul said, don't yield yourselves as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't let the devil and the flesh play a worldly song through your life. But let the Spirit of God play a sweet melody that honors Jesus Christ. As we stand the night, I pray.